In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I still find it nearly impossible to believe. If I hadn't lived it, I wouldn't think it was real. But we went from March 8th, 2020 to April 18th, 2021 with our church building closed. That's 57 consecutive Sundays. It's nearly a dozen funerals, handful of weddings, several baptisms, two Easter's and one Christmas all gone. As we return to in-person worship, slowly, strategically, carefully, one theme that I've heard over all the others is how good it is to be back in this space. The people, no doubt, played a large role in that, but so did this sacred building. Its beauty, its grandeur, its memories. Now, we learned over the last two years that we can be the church without the use of our building, but we sure as heck prefer to have it available to us. So having this experience in our rearview mirrors makes this gospel lesson this morning feel a bit like a too soon moment from Jesus. The second temple had only recently been doubled in size and totally refurbished under the direction of Herod the Great. Stones in the foundation of that temple were as big as 40 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet wide. 37 and a half foot tall Corinthian columns, each cut from a single piece of marble, lined the huge front porch. And the exterior walls were lined with gold. By any human measure, that sacred building was a sight to behold. And so when an unnamed disciple, upon seeing the sheer beauty and immensity of the temple, responds with awe, I don't really want Jesus to tell him that it's all going to come tumbling down. Buzzkill Jesus is not my favorite experience of Jesus. I would prefer Jesus to join in the wonder, maybe put his arm around his buddy's shoulder and say, it is amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what human beings can do when they join with God to build up the kingdom of heaven. But that's not what happens. We need a little bit of context to understand why. This gospel lesson comes from the 13th chapter of Mark. Back in the 11th chapter of Mark, the last week of Jesus' life begins. After healing blind Bartimaeus, a lesson we heard a few weeks ago, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the crowd laid down palm branches on the ground, and they shouted, Hosanna in the highest. They thought their king and Messiah was coming into the city. And of course, the religious powers that be weren't too keen on that, and so the rest of the week is growing tensions between Jesus and the religious leadership. And it culminated in the lesson that we would have heard last Sunday if it wasn't All Saints Sunday. There at the tail end of Mark 12, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple for the very last time. And he says to them, beware of the scribes. 
And then they sit and they watch the action in the temple and around the treasury. And Jesus points out a widow who put in her last two copper coins. And he says, look at her. She gave everything she had to keep this system afloat. And all around there are many, many others who give without sacrifice and take without a second thought. Jesus was clearly over the temple system and those who benefited from it. His care was for the poor and the outcast and the oppressed. His care for, were for those who really relied on God for their daily bread. His frustration lay squarely upon those who used that trust to line their own pockets. His anger is palpable as he and his disciples leave the temple for the last time and one of his buddies says, hey Jesus, that thing's pretty amazing, isn't it? You see that building, Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. The whole thing is coming down. 50 years later, that would be true. Rome would utterly destroy the temple, literally push the foundation stones off of one another. But I don't think it's a literal destruction that Jesus has in mind in that moment. I think he's predicting a larger shift, a shift where those in power get laid low and those who are at the margins and at the bottom, those whose backs upon which the temple system was built are raised up. They will inherit the kingdom of God. What follows is what is often called Mark's little apocalypse. Literally translated, an apocalypse is an uncovering or a revelation. We get a little glimpse into Jesus' revelation of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. When Peter, James, John, and Andrew come up to Jesus and they say, when's it going to happen? How will we know? He directs their attention away from the building being destroyed and turns it to the signs that will precede the unveiling of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Beware, Jesus says, echoing the words he just spoke to them in the temple. Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. Ego ami in Greek. It's the name that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. I am. It's a name so holy, so sacred that faithful Jews will not utter it. He's war and Je but Jesus uses it very intentionally. He's warning his disciples that some will come and claim to be God or God's Messiah or the second coming of Christ, and they will use language that sounds legit. They will quote scripture. They will, like the temple system already in place, prey on the religious devotion and trust of the poor, the outcast, and the oppressed. They will use so-called signs like wars and earthquakes and famines and pandemics 
to try to convince the world that they are the only ones that can save it. They will line their pockets with the copper coins of those they claim to care about, but seek only the enrichment of themselves and their friends. Beware, Jesus says. Beware. Now, between the destruction of the temple and the promise of a bunch of lying, cheating, no good, would-be messiahs, things are feeling pretty dire at this point in our gospel lesson. I found myself over and over again this week asking myself the question that Mother Becca asks when she preaches quite often, where is the good news? Where amid all of these words of warning is the tear in the curtain that will allow it to be fully ripped so the kingdom of God can be revealed? And the answer came to me in a three-year-old commentary in the archives on Working Preacher's website. It's a commentary that boldly claims that in the midst of the apparent chaos and destruction, Jesus brings a word of hope. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, when I first read that, I wrote in the margin, just the beginning, how can this possibly be a word of hope? And then I realized that Jesus doesn't say the chaos and destruction is the beginning of the death throes. But rather, he says it is the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but birth is painful chaotic and messy. In the end, however, is new life. And new life brings with it love like one can never understand. Joy beyond all measure. New life brings it with it the promise of hope. And for the people of first century Israel, that word of hope, that hope of new life out from under the oppressive boot of Rome out from the repressive temple system, that sounded like really good news. After 20 months of pandemic birth pangs, I look forward to some new life myself. I'm ready to, ready to cast my lot with Jesus, who maybe isn't quite the buzzkill I thought he was. I'm ready for new ways to use our building for the expanding of the kingdom of heaven. I'm ready for new ways to use our financial resources to reach out into our community. I'm ready for new ways to engage our baptismal covenant that we might love and serve our neighbors and change the world. Unveilings, birth pangs, resurrection. These things don't come easy. But joy hope, and love, well, those are absolutely worth it. Amen.